few years ago when I was in high school, <clears throat> the band did a fundraiser at the Bristol Motor Speedway for the NASCAR race, and we ran one of the souvenir stands. As we were wrapping up, the adults were doing the final counts of the shirts and all the things that we were selling, and me and my good friend Corey, we wanted to go up and see how tall the Bristol Motor Speedway was above the ground. At the very peak, how tall was it? I love heights. They don't scare me at all. In fact, my lack of fear in heights has caused a, quite a bit of fear for my dad. When I go to the edge and I look straight down, I'm like, oh, look at there, and I'm quite excited about it. So we go up to the top, and I, I have no clue how far above the ground we are at this point. Look over, and it's just awesome. I just love it. I say, Corey, isn't, isn't this great? Corey? He's 10 rows behind me with a death grip on the railing, scared out of his mind. <laughs> Heights weren't his thing. He doesn't like them. Fear is, uh, fear is an interesting thing. It has an ability to cripple us, to, to make us react and respond in different ways. Usually there, there's, there's three ways that a person can respond to fear. We freeze, we fight, get defensive, or we flight, we, we run away. And we respond differently depending on the kind of fear that it is. I mean, there's, there's definitely the one kind of fear when you're at church camp and Travis comes screaming behind you and scares you. There's another fear if you're a monk of all these little weird fears that he has. But then there's some, definitely some serious fears in our lives. The fear of, I don't know if I'm going to have a job tomorrow. The fear of this marriage or this family, will it still be here in a week or a month? Or maybe a friend is coming to you with their fears of things happening in their life, and you start feeling their fears yourself. Fear has a way of crippling us. We're in this empowered series at church here where we're looking at Old Testament individuals who God empowered to do incredible things. Today we're going to be taking a look at Joshua. Joshua was the man that God chose to actually lead his nation, the Israelites, into the promised land. And we may not think of Joshua being someone who was afraid, but let's think about this for a minute. He's about to be the leader of an entire nation, and not just any nation. These are the Israelites. These are God's chosen people. And if that wasn't enough, he's following Moses. Moses is one of those people that even if you haven't been in church long, you've probably heard that name. He did incredible things. God called Moses to bring his people, the Israelites, up out of Egypt, out of slavery. He went before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the land, and said, let my people go. After he said no, God empowered Moses to do incredible things. The staff turned into a snake and then back to a staff. Water turned to blood. Darkness came over the land. He split the sea so the Israelites could walk across on dry ground. He did incredible things. And if that wasn't enough, Moses had this incredibly close relationship with God. He got to experience God in a way we can only dream of it. He literally got as close to God as any man could without dying. And this is what Joshua walks into. Leading this great nation, following after Moses, and here's Joshua. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses is passing the torch to Joshua, and he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. 
For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. And then to all the people, beginning of verse 7, Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for ye shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I love this scene. I love this passing of the torch to Joshua for many reasons. And, and one is because we do this today. We pass the torch, but I don't think we do it this well. And I don't want to get too sidetracked with this, but I think it's important to talk about because whether it's in business, in our families, even in the, tur- in the church, there's the passing of the torch from one generation to the next. And at one point, you've been on the receiving end of that, or you will be. And then at another point, you're going to be passing the torch. And I think we haven't done this well. I hear not old people, but older individuals talk bad about my generation. Say how they're worried about this next generation. And as one who's in that generation, I definitely think there's some validity to what they say. I'm concerned. I'm worried. But if I could, for just a moment, talk to those who are a little bit closer to my age group. I hate to burst your bubble. We don't know everything. We have a lot to learn. And we have to set our pride aside for just a moment and go talk to those who've been in our shoes. Go talk to those who have been in our situation and learn from them. A couple months ago, I was having breakfast with Wayne Kirby and Dave Cadell, two of the elders here at the church. And Dave said something. He said, you're going to bloody your nose in ministry. You can either bloody it on your own and learn from it so it won't be as bad next time. Or you can talk to those who have bloodied their nose and it won't be as bad for you. We have to do that. We have to talk to others. We have to learn from those who have been where we are and learn, learn from them. Now, if I could for just a second, too, talk to those who are a little older. Again, I'm not saying old, older. The way I see it, you have two options. Far too many choose the first one. And that is that you can sit back in your rocking chair and you can talk about the good old days back when you were growing up and really criticize this next generation. Or you can be like Moses. And you can pour into someone in the next generation. You can pour into Joshua. You see, it was 40 years before this changing of the guard between Moses and Joshua that God came to Moses and said, he's next. Joshua's the man that's going to lead the Israelite people into the promised land. For 40 years, Moses poured into Joshua, taught him, mentored him, invested into his life. We need to model the same. All of us need to be willing to set our pride aside, get a big bowl of humble pie, and learn from each other, talk to each other, invest in relationships with people in other generations so that we can do the same thing, that we can pass the torch well, so that we can encourage each other to be strong and create courageous. There's a reason that Moses told Joshua this. It's not easy. There is a daunting task ahead of him. He has some big shoes to fill. I'm sure Joshua's afraid. 
And Moses encourages him to be strong, to be courageous. And this is a battle cry. I mean, this is something I just imagined Moses saying with gusto. Like, be strong and courageous. And I hate what we've done to this phrase now because we've turned it into one of those Christian cliches. We put it in our house, we write it down, and we say it to others who are, are trying to tell us about the hard time they're going through. And we say, well, you know what God says, be strong and courageous. And I've been there. People have said that to me. And I'll respond with, I, I'm trying, thank you. But inside, I'm thinking, you, you have no clue what I'm going through. You have no clue how hard this is. How can I be strong and courageous when I just lost my loved one? A parent, a child. How can I be strong and courageous when my job of 27 years was suddenly cut with no warning, and I'm the sole income for my family? How can I be strong and courageous when my world is crumbling around me? When there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I know it's a train, and it's coming full blast, and I am I'm just bracing for impact because I don't know what's going to happen. How in the world can I be strong and courageous? It's not easy. Moses doesn't say it because it's easy. He says it's because it's hard. But I want you to notice the reason Moses says this. He doesn't say, Joshua, be strong and courageous because you have a lot of natural talent. Because you've done some great things and you have great things in store for you. He doesn't say, be strong and courageous because you've had a mentor in me. He doesn't say that. It's not because of Joshua. It's because of who God is. Be strong and courageous for the Lord is with you. For he will not fail you. He will not forsake you. He will never leave you. It's not it's not because of us. There's nothing to do with us. That we, the reason that we should be strong and courageous is all because of him. Because of his promises, because of his goodness, because of his love toward us. That we should be strong and courageous. David says the same thing in 1 Chronicles 28, 20 when he's passing the torch. Then David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It's not because of us, it's because of who he is. And I know that's still not easy. I know there are times when it feels like God is a million miles away, and he is nowhere around. This last week, as Eric mentioned earlier, we were at church camp, and he was there during the day, I was there at night, we had a lot of other MCC people there, and it was really great. During one of the family times, I asked the kids, is it okay to be mad at God? Is it okay to be frustrated with God? And these middle schoolers looked at me and like, no, what, what are you talking about? Of course not. And I feel like we maybe have the same answer, at least publicly, but inside, we're, <laughs> truth is, we're mad at God. Can I challenge that for a minute? If you're mad with God, if you're frustrated with him, tell him. Trust me, God's big enough he can handle it. And if you tell him how you feel, if you tell him how mad and how frustrated you are, you're still talking to him. He's still there with you. He hears it all. And I'm not saying that makes it easier, but it's okay to be mad, to be frustrated with God, because there are times that Satan can really mess with us. There are times that he messes with our emotions, with our feelings, and it's hard to know here that God is God, that he is good, 
It's hard to be strong and courageous because it seems like everything's going bad. But hold on to it here. Know it for a fact because God says so in his word because he's proven himself time and time and time again that he is good. We can be strong and courageous here even when we don't feel like it because of who he is. This, this time of Joshua taking the Israelites into the promised land was a promise that God made to Abraham seven to 900 years earlier. I mean, just imagine for a second being Abraham, and God comes to you and says, I'm going to make you into this great nation. I'm going to lead you into this promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And Abraham says, that's great. That's awesome. Looking forward to it. He leaves everything and follows God. And at the end of his life says, okay, God, <laughs> I'm ready for this. Where are you? I left everything because of this promise you made me. Where is it? Abraham never saw this come to fruition. His kids never saw it. His grandkids, his great-grandkids never saw this promise. But God is faithful. He did not forget, and in his timing, he fulfilled this promise. I love 2 Peter 3.8. It says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I'm probably one of the most impatient people I know. My dad, when I was growing up, would just say my name, William, and give me that look, and I was like, I know, I know, be patient. And I feel like I could have been a lot better off in life if I would take his advice, but I still have yet to learn. I'm very impatient. I tell my mom that when God was handing out patience, I was too impatient to wait in line. I just went to play Ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> I'm not patient is the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> but we have to be. Because our timing is not God's. David says in Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And I believe he says this because he knows our impatience is the greatest hindrance in being strong and courageous. It's hard to be strong and courageous when we are too impatient to wait on God. When our timetable and his timetable don't line up. We have to wait. We have to be patient. Especially in this culture today where everything's instant. Microwave is the way to go because we're not patient enough to wait on the oven. You want potatoes tonight, though, you can go to Walmart and just pick up a bag of potatoes. What you can't do is go home and plant the seed and have potatoes for dinner. Good things in life take time. And we know this. We know this, but we live in this instant culture where everything is so quick. Everything is at our fingertips. I love food. Barbecue is pretty fantastic, and some of the best barbecue places always have a sign, this was cooked for hours or marinated for days. It takes time. Ask any professional athlete. It's taken years of the right eating, of discipline and training, to get and prove yourself at that professional level. It takes years. And we have to learn, we have to train ourselves to trust God's timing instead of our own. God has proven himself time and time again. 
And we have to realize this. We have to know this and trust it. Beth Guggenberger is one of the founders of Back-to-Back Ministries. They're a, a ministry that works with children's homes in Mexico, Haiti, India, and Nigeria. She tells a story of a few years ago when she was speaking at Grace Chapel Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. She was promoting back-to-back, trying to raise some support, and following her talk, a guy by the name of Carlos came up to her. He said that he was an international businessman, and, and he did some work in Monterey, Mexico. He said that he would love to connect, see how he could help out the ministry when he was there. So she gave him one of her cards and said, that sounds great. Give me a call when you're down there. I'd love to talk with you more about it. He gave her one of his cards, and she put it in her pocket, but she really forgot all about it. Well, fast forward of several months later, and in Mexico, there's a children's home by the name of Monetiel del Amor called Fountain of Love, or MDA for short. And the director of this children's home is a guy by the name of Edgar. Edgar's a great guy, a heart for the orphan that God has just put within him. On this particular day, though, Edgar realized they were getting really low on food. And at a children's home in Mexico, food's always low. But this day, it was really low. They knew that they had enough food for breakfast and a snack for lunch. That was pretty much it. He knew that he could call back to back. He knew that they had an emergency food kit that would have rice and just some very basic food in it. But he also knew that this could be an opportunity to teach his kids. This could be an opportunity to teach them to rely on God rather than man. So he held off. Early that afternoon, Beth got a call. Hey, Beth, this is Carlos from Grace Chapel in Cincinnati. How are you? He says, I'm in town for for a show. Would love to connect with you and talk to you a little bit more about the children's home and how we might be able to partner together. She said, that sounds great. They arranged a time, but before he got off the phone, he said, oh, do you have a truck? Yeah. We have a lot of extra product after this show, and if you want it, it's yours. You can take it all. She finally had to confess, Carlos, I'm really sorry, but I've lost your business card. Remind me again what kind of business you're in. He said, well, I'm in the food industry, and we're down here at a show trying to get some new business from hotels and other restaurants in the area. So that sounds great. They arranged the time to pick up the food, and things were working out. Later that evening, uh, Edgar rang the dinner bell for dinner, except this time there's nothing smelling good in the kitchen. He brought the kids in and said to them, guys, I'm, I'm sorry, but we, we don't have any food. But he said, this is what we know. You are children of the Most High King, and you are not forgotten. So let's pray and ask the king for your dinner. Dear Lord, we thank you for the numerous blessings on these children and on this home. We humbly ask that you would provide a meal for us tonight. As he continued, one of the kids in the the children's home, whose picture you see, is by the name of Joel. And Joel was kind of confused as far as what was going on. So he raised his hand, Tio, 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 which means uncle in Spanish. Are we praying that God brings us dinner? Edgar said, Joel, God loves you, and you are his child. Yes, we are asking him for your dinner. He's your father, and he wants you to know he sees you. It's his pleasure to want to lavish his riches on you. It is he who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Every part of creation belongs to him. So let's 
see what he'll deliver to us. And they continue to pray. Joel was still a little fuzzy on it. T.O.T.O., do you think, will the Lord bring us meat? And I know that may sound like an interesting question, a silly question to us, where every meal we have revolves around the meat. They don't get that. They rarely have meat at all with any meal. So they prayed that God would bring them meat for dinner. But Joel still wasn't quite satisfied. Teal, teal, teal. What kind of meat does God bring? Edgar wasn't really sure what to say to that. What kind of meat do you think he brings? And in a children's home where rarely if they have meat, it's maybe a hot dog, maybe a hamburger on the very rare occasion, he says, I think if God's bringing dinner, I think God will bring steak. About this time, Beth called MDA and talked to Edgar, said, hey, do you guys have room for some food? She had no clue what was going on. Yeah, I, I think we could make some room for some food if you, if you have it. She says, well, there's a truck on its way. Uh, just make sure you're, you're prepared and, and have the space for it. Edgar's like, well, Beth, before you hang up, um, what kind of food is it? Again, if someone donates a food to a children's home in Mexico, you really don't ask questions about what kind of food it is. But Beth had no clue what was happening. She said, I, I trying to get off the phone. She had, was trying to call the other children's homes to make sure that they had room for this food. She was trying to, she said, Edgar, I don't, I don't know. It's food. Someone's donating it. Be happy. Enjoy it. But he pressed. He said, Beth, Beth I, I really need to know what's coming. He sounded different. Beth said, okay, I'll, I'll try to find out. By this point, Todd, Beth's husband, had picked up the food in the pickup truck and was headed out to deliver it. And so Beth calls Todd. says, I know this sounds strange. Edgar was being kind of strange on the phone, but I, I need to know what kind, of, what kind of food this is. Todd said, Beth, you won't believe it. It's the best meat money can buy. Steak and incredible cuts of beef and pork. There's filet mignon, sirloin, New York strip. The sellers here had to put out these amazing samples to attract new buyers. The homes are going to love it. Beth, still pretty confused, got off the phone and called Edgar back to say, hey, look, this is what's coming, so you should be excited. This is awesome. And Edgar broke down. He explained to Beth what had been happening over the last couple hours. And see, this is incredible. God had been working for months to set up this one moment in time where he looked at the children at this home and said, you are not forgotten. You are heard, you are seen, and I love you. And sometimes we are blessed to be at that receiving end of it. The end of what God has been moving for months, for years to put together. And it's incredible. But then there's other times where... Maybe we find ourselves in the beginning. And God's just started moving the pieces for needs, for things years from now that we have no clue about. And it's hard. It's hard to be strong. It's hard to be courageous when we're just in the beginning or maybe toward the middle and we have no clue what's yet to come. 
But hold tight to this truth. Romans 8.28, Paul, an apostle of Jesus, says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now let's be clear about something. When Christ came down, when he died on the cross and he defeated death, he physically rose back to life. You were called. He came to do that to restore a relationship with you. And you are called according to his purpose. And Paul says here, God says that he will work all things for good. Not just some of your hurt, not just some of your pain, not just some of your fears, not just some of your baggage, but all things for your good. All things for the good of those who love them. And I know, guys, I know this still doesn't make it easy. I know that when you walk through those doors and you leave, that the same hurt that you walked in with, it's still going to be there. But don't lose it here. Be strong and courageous because God is God. Because it's in his nature to be good, to love you. He has never failed. He never will. And even though we may not see it right here and in this moment, trust him. If you don't feel it here, know it here. I want to leave you with these three things. One, trust God. Be strong and courageous, not because of anything that you can do or anything that you've done, but because of who he is. For he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Number two, be patient. Wait. You don't know where in this timeline that you find ourselves in God's plan. I love Philippians where it says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until the day it's finally finished on the day when Christ returns. What he started within you, he will finish. And number three, lean into this promise in 2 Chronicles 15, 7. But as for you, be strong and courageous for your work will be rewarded. Father, we are so thankful for who you are, for your kindness, for your goodness, for your love, for your strength that keeps us going when we have nothing left. God, I pray that you will empower us the way that you've empowered these, these individuals in the Old Testament that we've been talking about. Empower us to be strong and courageous even when we don't feel it. When it feels like you're hundreds of miles away, God, Help us to know it. Help us to trust you that you are good, you are God, and you really do have our best interest in mind, that you will work all things for good. Help us to lean into that promise, God. It's in your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.